I'm Lucas Broughton, and I listen to the Arc City Podcast. I'm River Adamus, and Arc City is my ski racing podcast of choice. I'm Alexander Omakilda, and I listen to Arc City Ski Podcast. I'm Michaela Schifrin, and I listen to Arc City. And we are back and live. I'm Jimmy Krupka, and welcome to Arc City. Arc City is supported by U.S. Ski and Snowboard and officially sponsored by Spider Active Sports. Go to spider.com to learn more. All right, Jimmy Krupka coming to you live from Sugarloaf Mountain in Maine. The end of the season is almost here. I'm hitting the books this week as I attempt to continue my college education. So this episode is goodbye for now. But I will be back probably in June, and I can assure you of that. Today, at the end of the show, I briefly interview the three young U.S. development team guys who were actually sponsored by Arc City this season. I was hoping to have D-team girls as well to get equal representation, you know, but none of them would take the offer, which, to be fair, it wasn't super enticing. Luke Keering snagged the max contract, which was $20. Jay Poulter and Justin Bigatel had $10 contracts because they had the smaller sticker on their helmets. Anyway, the main event today is River Radimus. He's a real class act. He's got a ton of style. In his first Olympics this winter, he got fourth in the GS, fourth in the team event. I know a couple wooden spoons, but really impressive results, especially for a young guy. He climbed to 15th on the World Cup GS Tour this season. You probably know his name already, or at least his wacky hairdos. And he's a true thinker. So we had a great conversation for this interview. And without further ado, River Adamus. So River Adamus, welcome to Arc City. Thank you, Jimmy. I'm glad to be here. Uh, Long time listener, third time caller. Let's see. You called into ski racing this week. Mm -hmm. And then... And then you called in to Arc City Uh on one of the first episodes, I think. I think so. And you say you're a listener, huh? Yeah. You have given me a five-star review on Spotify yet? I have on Apple Music. Apple Apple Music. Yes. All right. That helps. That helps. Okay. Um, I have a whole bunch of topics I just want to talk about. And the reason for that is because I just want to switch things up a bit because like normally with a guest i'm like hey what's your story let's start from the beginning let's tell your story and i feel like you've probably done that a lot i I don't know i think so i think we've done that i think we've done that on this podcast yeah and 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 i think it's fun for people to to hear like okay what does river adamus think about this let's have a conversation about this topic this topic this topic awesome so i've got a list of topics and we're just gonna hit them sweet um the first that i was that i want to talk about which is like related to what I was just talking about was like journalism and sports. Like what's the purpose of journalism and sports? Because there was an article recently in ski racing where they said our purpose as ski racing media is to be critical of athletes and of the NGB. And, and then you're like, well, then you look at Michaela who it seems like she's been run down by like so much negative, media and then like so much positive media and you're like where's where does it end 
I think I'm talking too much. Well, why, don't, why don't we hear from you? Like, what, like, do you have any, any say on this? Like, what, what's your, you've experienced the Olympic media circus. So like, what's your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's like, I, I haven't seen much of it. You know, I'm not Michaela. I'm not Ted. I don't get like interviewed and, and criticized by the media or anything like that. Really. You know, I'm just out there doing my thing for now, which is nice. Uh, it's a nice place to be, but you know, there's, there's a lot of arms of, of media in every sport, you know, less so in ski racing than in basketball, I guess. But like, you know, there's, there's the, the reporting side and then there's the, uh, opinion side, you know, and I think that they both have their place. I think that, mm -hmm. uh, they both have their, um, their value in attracting people to the sport and engaging with fans, you know? Um, but you know, it's, it's a balance for sure. And I think, you know, it's it's important that they stay free and and able to say what they want as long as as long as it's fair and and justified in what they're saying. You know, but mm -hmm. um, you know, as as an athlete, I feel like it's my job to to not pay it too much mind. And and when criticism is valid and and I come up short, to be able to step up and and respond to the media and, and take the to, criticism and take that. You know, yeah. As long as it's fair, as long as yeah. it's justified, and and it's you know something that you know, is, is true and, and it's something I need to step up to, then I think that it's, it's my duty and my challenge to, to, to go to bat and, uh, and take on okay. that challenge. I like that. And I like how you separated reporting and opinion. Mm. Sometimes they get merged, but I, but I think it's an important distinction to make. We were talking like at, at lunch or something earlier today about like, what would it be like if criticism didn't exist in sports like you you see the talking heads you see Stephen a smith you know calling people horrible names calling them a fraud saying you know really um rat ragging on on basketball players today um you know you listen to talk radio after the celtics lose a game and it's just like horrendous um criticism mm. well is there any value to that sort of side of of things does it add kind of a? It, it, some people love it. It adds kind of a flavor to it. Is there? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like there's there's definitely a reason that Stephen A. Smith gets paid nineteen million dollars a year. You know, like as as annoying as all that stuff is, like either people truly love it or people love to hate it. You know, either way, it like it causes controversy, and people like controversy ultimately. I feel like. Um, yeah. And like I said, I think it does in some way have value to attracting people to the sport and engaging people with the sport, making people mm -hmm. think more critically about skiing, you know, as opposed to purely, um, as a fan, you know, I yeah. think that, that that has value and can also bring out the best in athletes, you know? Yep. We don't see that that much, you know, I, I, there aren't legions and legions of ski racing fans to my eye, you know? And so, um, I've been pretty, um, I, I haven't gotten a lot of that sort of criticism, you know. I feel like the the bigger names definitely do, and uh, you know, it's I I, I think about that um, the old um, uh, Billie Jean King quote a lot. Uh, Pressure is a privilege, you know. Like mm. the 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 reward for for having expectation on yourself and and getting to a place where um, you're. Uh, expected to succeed or or picked as one of the favorites or or anything else is is living up to to the public image and, and living up to to expectation not just from yourself but from you know external sources you know and um 
it it can detract from you sometimes it can get to you for sure um but ultimately it's like it's a privilege to to get that opportunity regardless of how you how you attack it so um i think it's it's something that that you know you got to get used to a little bit yeah and something you're able to to harness and also able to ignore yeah i really like that pressure is a privilege is and it seems nowadays though that the pressure can be suffocating um like as we like i don't i don't want to have you comment on um michaela schifrin and and the olympics and her not having a medal and then the the whole media circus i'm not gonna have you comment on that but but that um brings up a lot of interesting things that and and simone biles in the summer olympics Mm. um where she kind of just felt like she was being suffocated by the media it almost feels like social media has a lot to do with that like because it's just a 24 7 like constantly in your face you're constantly engaging with fans all the time I mean, I guess both of us have never experienced yeah, like yeah, exactly. before social media, but I don't know if you think have any opinions about that. Yeah, I, I haven't experienced life without social media as a ski racer, and I also haven't experienced, you know, uh, 1% of what Michaela or Simone Biles has had to deal with, you know? Yeah. So I just like, I I have no concept of, of how suffocating that can be, you know? Like, mm-hmm. we had... Um, we had interviews after the parallel event at the Olympics, you know, and the interviewer asked me, uh, do you have any, any words of encouragement or words of advice for, for Michaela at this stage? <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at the guy. I was like, for, for like one of the goats, <laughs> you mean the girl next to me that has 73 world cup wins. <laughs> there is not one thing I could teach this girl. Like, like she is one of the greats of all time. I have never, step my foot on a podium like like uh not none of us mortal humans not the interviewer not me not anybody except for her has any idea for like what she went through in those olympics and and what she's had to to go through to get to that point in the first place you know like yeah like regardless of how the outcome is of the olympics like it is not normal to be expected to win four medals at the olympics or or however many you know like, that should be a, an achievement in and of itself to be to go to the Olympics and have people saying she is supposed to win four medals, maybe five. Like, yeah, like like that's that's greatness in itself. Yeah, even even momentary like failures or or uh, mistakes or missteps like don't take away from the greatness that she's had and the greatness she'll undoubtedly have in the future. Like she's leading the overall in the in the yeah in the the title race this year and like has a pretty good chance of winning it but uh you know people will will dwell on her failure at the olympics you know and that's like that's tough but you know pressure is a privilege like she'll she'll get out there and she'll win plenty more races in the future great i like the way you put that so you went to the olympics and that's uh something i want to talk about more in depth is like I, I was looking at the Olympics from the outside and everyone's having this debate, like what's the purpose of the Olympics? Because you see a guy like Benjamin Alexander um, from Jamaica, first Jamaican alpine skier ever at the Olympics. Um, and then people were concerned about the way in which he qualified. And there's this kind of debate, is the, uh, the qualification criteria too easy so that there's too many um, kind of unskilled, random, what people would call, quote-unquote, exotic nations 
at the Olympics. But I know that you talk to Benji and and you kind of have a positive outlook um, on this. So, I mean. Yeah, I don't remember us talking about that. But, yeah, like. Um, well, no, we haven't talked about it. Oh. But but I but I know that um, when you post you posted Instagram like oh yeah. it was cool that yeah totally. Benjamin Alexander was here yeah totally I mean I think like at the end of the day I have to remind myself often you know like I get really serious about about skiing and training and I get down on myself when I have a bad day that sort of stuff you know and so I have to remind myself like we play a game you know we're yeah. we're doing we're doing a sport which is like a fun activity yeah. you know like it's a recreational activity the reason that that you and I are able to do what we do is because it's a, a, um, entertainment product essentially, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I enjoy it. You enjoy it. Like that's, that's the heart of it. And so for me, like, like you gotta have that greater perspective for like how unserious what we do is at the end of the day, like Mm -hmm. I take it serious, you take it serious and, and we want to become the best that we possibly can at it. But Mm -hmm. like, it's not life or death for anybody that's in this sport. It's it's an, an entertainment product, you know? And so like the Olympics, the world championships, all these big events are entertainment products. And, and I think mm-hmm. the greatest value they serve is inspiration, bringing people together, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, giving, giving people a bigger purpose, giving people a, 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 a bigger rooting cause, that sort of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And so seeing, seeing Benjamin be the first Jamaican ski racer at the Olympics was insanely special, you know, like mm-hmm. Jamaica isn't a ski racing country, but it will, you know, in some way influence the youth of Jamaica and inspire them and, and, yeah. and, you know, show them, that there's another thing that's possible out there for them, you know, that sort of thing. And, um, you know, I, I think it comes down to like, there should be room for, for Benjamin and whoever didn't make the Olympics. quote unquote, he like he, he took a spot from people were kind yeah. of the, the narrative that, that was kind of created was that, you know, these exotic nations are quote unquote, taking spots from, from people from who who you know are more competitive at the Olympics, but are from a bigger nation. Yeah, and it's just, I think the reality is, and I'm sure you'd agree with this, is the system is kind of just, um, is is kind of messed up a little bit. Like it doesn't quite um, make space for both people. So sometimes people feel as if spots yeah. are being taken. And I, I mean, I feel like, like they can't let every single athlete in the world go to the Olympics. You no. know, that, that yeah. takes away from the, the prestige of it as well, you know, mm-hmm. but I think that, that there can be uh, a refinement of the regulations and, and making sure that, that they're applied properly. And so there's, you know, room for, for both sides, room for, for the athletes that are, that are there to represent their nations and room for the athletes that are that are there with with olympic medal aspirations you know and and those that that have have a, a real chance at the medals you know mm-hmm. like i don't know how how much money the olympics made in revenue this year but i know there's enough for a couple more spots on the alpine side you know yeah. and so um i'm not i'm not uh, linked in with that at all but you know i feel like there's there's room for both and, and there's a better balance to be struck there for sure. Yeah. So having been there, you know, every nation is allowed four spots at the Olympics. So some people say, Oh, the Olympics isn't the pinnacle of competition, Mm. 
but it, it but a gold medal is like everyone looks at a gold medal as if like that is the pinnacle achievement of sport it's like what would you say is the purpose of the olympics or where does the olympics fall when you're categorizing competition in in ski racing i think that that depends on who you ask you know yeah. um i think you'd get different answers from different people i know that there's there's people who hold a gold medal at kitzbühel higher than than an olympic medal you know um mm -hmm. to me i don't know i don't know exactly where to where to frame it yet you know like Ultimate to me is the ultimate GS, you know? Yeah. And that's like, that's the one that I'm always dreaming of alongside Beaver Creek, you know, cause I, I come from Beaver Creek. And so those two are, are races I've always dreamed of. Like, I can't say like, I've always thought about the Olympics, you know, but I haven't necessarily thought about, I'm going to go to, to Yangqing and, and <laughs> race in, in China and, and win that GS, you know, cause that's just like sort of unknown. Like yeah. every four years we go to a, a new venue for the Olympics and the hill is different and some are more realistic to world cup tracks than others. And, and so like the adaptability piece, like being able to, to show up at whatever hill we're going to and execute is really cool and especially with the entire world watching you know yeah so that's like you know i'm not not to say that like uh every kid doesn't dream up go up green every kid doesn't grow up dreaming yeah. dreaming of winning the olympics because i like basically everybody yeah. does you know you just don't but have a visual in your head exactly yeah. it's it's always different and so um you know you just like to me i i am like trying not to be too outcome based, you know. I still yeah. have those those big dreams of of standing on a World Cup podium, an Olympic podium, all that sort of stuff. But uh, I don't know. I I try not to hold any any single singular race too high in regard, you know, because I feel like that can get to me in a certain way. Like I still yep. I I like to have respect for the moment, you know, mm -hmm. realizing I only get this chance here in China one time, you know, and I and my next chance at the Olympics is maybe in four years, and so I want to be able to execute and perform my highest, but um i don't want it to like overwhelm me and be like oh my god this is the olympics i only have one chance here i have to ski perfect or else you know so it's like you, you sort of have to find the balance and and respect it but also don't let it rule over you too much respect for the moment i i like is that like a phrase you have or is that just something you came up with just now that's i don't know that's that's something i i haven't always said in those terms but something i've always thought in the back of my head like it's it's good to have respect for the moment like I, like I i think about that you know whether it's a world juniors event or the olympics or um a world championships or even you know any world cup i go to or any race at any stage you know like yeah. you only get this one opportunity and some opportunities are rarer than others you know but you only get like you're standing in the start gate and you don't get to redo this race ever again. So like you have to make the most of it and, and summon all your, all your focus and all your, your experience to execute right in this moment. Yeah. And that applies. Oh, sheesh. That applies to life too. Man. Yeah. And we, I've got a whole lot more topics to, that I want to hit, but quickly, um, are there any like little thoughts in your head about the Olympics in four years? You're like, I, this is my goal whether it's outcome-based or if it's just, like, experience-based, like, I want to meet more people at the Olympics. Is there anything you have in your mind, like, next time? Um, so, two, three years ago, two years ago, I uh, 
I had this race in Adelboden and um, I'd struggled all season long on the GS tour and I came down in Adelboden into like 24th place and I was like I had that huge sigh of relief like finally I made it you know I I, I got one it's like a monkey on your back you finally wash that off and I like celebrated in the finish (laughs) and went into the lodge and watched as just everybody came down and beat me afterwards you know and so i ended up i ended up 31st by whatever two hundredths and and you didn't get a second run i didn't get a second run as it goes you know i I thought that i'd finally got it and then i didn't get it and like that that memory is like indelibly scratched in my head and i took a, a photo of the result sheet um and i put it on the on the wall in front of my uh lifting rack at home and I put it as my lock screen and I just used it as motivation always remind myself like why I do it, what, what the margins are. Like I just like used it to drive me. Like I never want to feel like I felt that day again, you know, like that was like the lowest low of a pretty rough season I had. And I was like, mm-hmm. I just don't ever want to feel that way again. So anytime I'm like lacking motivation in the gym or don't want to take another run on the hill or like slacking on my, my rehab or anything else, you know, like anytime I I need that extra juice, you know, I just look at that photo and I just like, I'm transported back to that moment. I just feel it like just palpably feel what that felt like in the moment. And I know I don't want to feel that again. And so I've had that as my lock screen since then, Mm -hmm. um, until the Olympics. And, um, I was hanging at the finish after the GS, um, watching the podium, uh, mm-hmm. for the GS, you know, I got fourth place and I By took what, a, like a couple tenths. Yeah. Two, two and a half tenths, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, and I wasn't expected to, to podium there. So I like, I take pride in that fourth place for sure, you know, mm-hmm. but I took a photo of, of the podium, you know, and I decided that day I want to, I want to change, change the lock screen to that, you know, cause like, yeah it's not so much I'm running away from the feeling of missing the flip in the way that I did in Adelboden, but like, you know, I, I just like, I was that close to tasting what that feels like go there and stand on that podium at the Olympics, you know? And I saw the, the joy and the the happiness that all those guys had and, and like the reward for all the work they've put in over 25 years. And I was like, God, I want that. I want that so bad, you know? And so when I'm in the gym this summer, you know, uh, training in the middle of winter, not wanting to do the extra work. I'm like, I, I know what my why is, you know, I think it's yeah. always important to remember what the why is and, and what's pushing you. And I, that's, that's the single image in my head that I'm going to remember most from these Olympics. I love that. And you've always said that you, you've always said, what's your why? And we've worked out in the gym together for, for years now. And it's always been fun because you're like, you, you, you know, you, I watch you work super hard and you're like, what's the why? What's the why? Like, yeah. Yeah. To me, like, I, I'm not naturally one that loves the gym, you know, like I, yeah. I got away when well, I was let's, younger. Let's just say you don't thrive in the gym. <laughs> <laughs> when, 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 when you were, you know, you were born, there, God was giving you talent, skiing, <laughs> right? Just overflowing. Yeah. But athletically, you know, I've played basketball against you. There's no doubt that you put in the work in your basketball game, <laughs> but you're just not as quick as a Luke Winners. Well, I think that's that still remains to be argued. When when the game's on the line, 
You better bet. And the game's that the I'm going to dunk on him. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, I, I haven't. Like I've probably been of our of our team of our group. I've probably been the least fit. Like through all of development through like U16 age to now, and I'm getting closer for sure. But it's also gym was never something that I like loved. You know, I, mm-hmm. I was never just like a grinder when I was younger. And I yeah. think some of that is like I was able to get away with that when I was a kid, you know, because I skied a lot and I had a lot of reps and volume and and was um pretty nifty on skis. I was able to to succeed and and win races and move up the ranks still without putting in that extra work in the gym. You know, like Luke, I always think about Luke. Like he was never supposed to be a ski racer, you know? Yeah. Like he was never like, um, had great fundamentals when we were kids or like the most dynamic skier. He always looked a little bit stiff, but that guy worked for everything he got. He worked so hard to get to where he is now. And now he's like, you know, scoring world cup points, went to the Olympics, like one of the best slalom skiers in the world, you know? Mm -hmm. And he worked for every single part of that. I feel like I haven't always, I mean, skiing is work you know but i haven't had to do the things that i don't like as much as he did you know and that's something i'm super like now that i've gotten at this level and and it took years of um getting just absolutely whooped on world cup you know to really realize like okay i'm at this level and okay everybody is basically as talented as i am here Oh, but they've also like put in more work at the gym and they're like way stronger, way fitter, take the job more seriously than me. And so like, like I didn't have that leeway anymore. I couldn't skip Mm -hmm. the steps. And so it's like, I've started to learn to love the gym, you know, and embrace it. But it's always about like returning to why am I doing this? Why am I coming this time? Because that's what inspires me. You know, I'm, I'm putting in the work here in the gym so that next season goes better. I have more of those good days than bad days and I enjoy it more. I'm able to do what I want to more and, and you know, all, all the things that come along with, with the dirty work that you do, you know, all the rewards for the work. Mm -hmm. You know, and and I, the way I like to frame it, like, you know, I, you interact with younger kids at ski clubs and whatever. And I like to, you know, I like to kind of say River Adam is like should be an inspiration because, uh, you know, he, he, it wasn't like you were dunking on people like Ben Ritchie could dunk at um, one of the world's best Psalm skiers. He hasn't scored that many World Cup points yet, but a very fast Psalm skier, Ben Ritchie. Ben Ritchie could could dunk in like ninth grade, but that that wasn't you. But but you like it's still possible to be a world class skier. Um, you just got to put in the time in the gym. Yeah. That's interesting. I think I almost, I think it's the opposite. I feel like a a Luke winters should be more of an inspiration, you know, because I don't know. My, my career is it's going in the right direction, obviously. And, and I've, I've stepped up big time this season and, and I'm scoring consistently world cup points you know, I'm, I'm top 10 in the world right now. And, and so I'm, I'm moving towards where I want to go, but it truly could have gone completely the other direction, you know? And there's like a tipping point where that first year, the second year on world cup, where I just struggled, I could have like 
I could have been gone in a year. You know, I feel like a lot of it is fortune that I, that I took, um, took the job seriously at the time that I did where I like realized how viscerally, like if I don't step up now, if I don't do the little stuff, I'll be gone. I'll never have a career in this sport. You know, like I was gifted with a lot of like incredible abilities when I was younger, you know, and I almost wasted them totally, Mm -hmm. you know, whereas like, like a Luke Winters should be the inspiration, you know, like it's, it's really true. Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. It really is true. And and, and to be clear in terms of Luke, like Luke's background and, and your background, Luke, um, didn't spend a ton of time skiing growing up mm. and didn't actually start skiing every day of the week until like what, like 10th or 11th grade or something. Yeah. Whereas you spent a lot of your summers skiing, mm your whole childhood mm-hmm. um, and just have a huge amount of time on snow. Yeah. And so like it really like it matters for some stuff for, for qualifying for the big races, how good you are when you're young, you know, mm-hmm. but there's been so many kids around me that were like incredible racers competing with me, beating me when we were younger. You know, yeah. I'm sure it happens to younger. you too. I mean, you they, talk about younger, younger goes from like, like yeah u14 but also u16 first year fist second year fist fourth year fist like mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of really talented skiers all through those like fourth year fist what you're like 18 years old yeah there's a lot of really good 18 year old skiers that don't do anything yeah exactly and so like there's also a lot of skiers in this world in this in the world cup stage that were totally off the map at all of those races and and missed those steps, the stepping stones that we talk about, the 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 JOs, the junior championships, the mm-hmm. out of region races and all those sort of of things, and are still competing on World Cup, succeeding in the sport and and moving upwards because they've worked hard, they've taken all the steps and and they have the platform to build from there when they have more skiing volume. So to me it's like like I almost feel like an outlier, you know, I feel like I had all of the talent in the world and I almost wasted it by like just feeling like that would, that would sustain me over, over Mm -hmm. the course of my career, you know, where I realized like that's just one chunk of it. It's a decent chunk of it, but it's just one chunk of it. And so if you take all those other steps and do all the things that you know, your competition isn't going to do or doesn't want to do, Mm -hmm. if you like embrace that, like that's something I think about a lot, like trying to embrace like the things that I, I don't like because I know someone else out there doesn't like them. And so if I just like own them and love them, then I've got to step up on them. Um, but like all of those chunks add up to a much larger slice of the pie than just natural talent or, or mm-hmm. young success. And so like, that's such a bigger key. So any younger skiers listening, I hope there are some younger ski racers listening. Uh, listen to what Riv just said. If you need to, hit that um, button to, to rewind a couple minutes and just listen to that whole thing again. <laughs> that's like, I mean, that's what, that's, that should be your anthem. Yeah. Um, I mean, you look at, you look at even uh, Stroltz, you know, Johannes Stroltz mm-hmm. was off the team um, for what, two years? I don't know. I didn't, I, I didn't even realize, I didn't really know who he was. He wasn't on the Austrian team. Next thing you know, he wins the World Cup. Next thing you know, he, was, he has a gold medal. He was, yeah, he was, he was do, working construction, mm-hmm. you know, and he was working, working his butt off in the gym and and doing the work when nobody watched. When he was overlooked for 
the resources and the opportunities that are provided to the team athletes. And then he shows up in Adelboden and connects the runs that, that he's worked for. And he wins in Adelboden from bib 38 goes to the Olympics, wins two golds, you know, like, and is on, on the superstar trajectory all of a sudden, you know, like this sport is never linear just because you're losing to someone now. doesn't mean like you're going to be losing to them in a year. If you, if you outwork them, like, and it mm-hmm. goes in peaks and valleys, you know, like, um, I used to take every bad training day I had like really hard, you know, I would just like be bummed out for the rest of the day and despondent and not talk to my teammates, all that sort of stuff, you know, and it's like, it adds to a bad culture. But like, I also realized that, that the, the breadth of my, my volume as a skier way outweighs one bad day. Like I can have two bad days in a row and still know that I'm a good skier and the skiing will come as long as I focus on the stuff that I can control and like keep improving and, and tackling those little things. And it like suddenly it'll jump and it'll be way better than it was before. And so, sorry, this is a tangent, you know, but like, <laughs> like I was just going to say, uh, Rem, Rem, I'm going to interrupt you. We're going on a tangent here, but finish your thought. Cause it is good. It is good stuff that you're saying. But yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's constant work year after yeah. year after year. It's just constant work and, and doing those little things will, will get you to where you want to be. Even if the work doesn't seem to be paying off in the short term. Love it. So we're nearing our end really, but I want to talk about hip drags <laughs> because you know, like, Ted seemed to be the the king of hip drag, putting your butt on the, having such high angles that you're putting your butt on the ground. And I know that, that Ted was a, was a, a big idol of yours. Uh, your skiing style uh, is a beautiful style where your butt ends up on the ground a lot. Uh, and I know you spent a long time working on like, okay, hip drags are cool, but being fast at ski racing, there's no style points. Like, let's try to get my hips off the ground, whatever. Um, can you tell us about that process and kind of that that duality between like, man, I love to look cool and it feels good. How can I also be fast? Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, that's exactly right. I, I grew up like idolizing Ted and and loving like high edge angles, you know, like the most radical skiing possible, you know, I, like there was other guys that I was just not drawn to on the world cup who had, you know, like a ski instructor form, I'd call it, you know, mm-hmm. really upright, really, um, restrained and like didn't show joy, you know, like yep. the, the best, exactly. the best compliment I've ever gotten about my ski was like someone, someone saw me at the bottom of the race and said, man, I could see how much you loved that run, you know? And yeah. I think that that's, that's something I try to convey, you know, throughout my personality, like just like, showing showing the love i have for what i do you know and and this whole industry this whole sport is a is a love driven game because uh god knows there's there's easier ways to make money out there you know (laughs) but we're insanely lucky to do what we do and and like the pure feeling of like riding a, a clean edge is just like an adrenaline rush i'm ever i'm always coming back to and so that's like how i learned to ski was like trying to make a bad replication of ted skiing basically you know like Mm -hmm. just like high edge angles and didn't have like the, the structure the, the, um, fundamentals to be able to make it good, you know, tried mm-hmm. to learn that backwards a little bit, you know, and mm-hmm. I think it's helped my career. I like imitating Ted and like experimenting and just like, um, exploring possibilities when I was younger, like made me a more adaptable skier. And mm-hmm. so I can make 
uh, agile recoveries or recoveries that are better than my um, on paper agility would would tell you were possible sort mm -hmm. of thing you know yeah yeah, yeah exactly um, but I also realized that I need to restrain that and and find the good skiing and combine it with the fun skiing you know and skiing fast is ultimately fun so it's a fun process even even as I as I try to rein in the hip drags and and the more um unique flares of my skiing just a touch you know because mm -hmm. i i know that the greater goal is is the success that i'm working for and the the fast skiing and the, the great performances all that sort of stuff mm -hmm. you know and so i've i've worked really hard over the last few years like to realize that ted isn't the only guy i should be following like i can't ski yeah. like ted i'm not ted liggity you know yeah, no really matter how great i i become i'm never gonna ski like ted because i don't have the whole background of development that he had to create his amazing style so now i'm I'm trying to take pieces from every direction i possibly can you know i try to watch a lot of odermont even though i ski a lot different from odermont because like it took me a long time to to appreciate what he does on the snow, you know, but like the subtleties and the the uh, crispness of what he does is is truly amazing. And I mean, the more he, I can wrap up the GS Globe already, yeah. yeah. I mean, I was that's news to me, man. I was really hoping to go out and run the the last half of the season, but uh, <laughs> I guess I'll have to get him next year. Um, but yeah, like he is the best GS skier in the world, you know. And I I used to think like. Oh, he's the fastest jet skier in the world. But I don't know. I'm not convinced he's the best jet skier in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, like I really loved Kronjetz's style. Mm -hmm. And Kronjetz is an amazing skier. Pinto is an amazing skier. But it's pretty undeniable that Odermott is the best jet skier in the world. Just with what he does and the speed he's able to generate with his skis just right underneath him, prepared for anything. Um, and so I'm trying to take pieces from him and from Kranjes and from Pintero and, and all the best yes gears and like learn as much as I can take all those different styles and, and create, create my own style through that, as opposed to just trying to be a bad replication of Ted, because the, the more, um, sources I have to pull from, like the, the more variability and the more adaptability I think I have. So I've become a better skier that way, I think, and a more, um, uh, dynamic skier in the last couple of years. I like that. And I like how you talk about fun and joy in skiing. And you talk about the ski instructor style. Something I've noticed this year, going back and forth between Europe and the U.S., Europe and the U.S., and kind of trying to observe the cultures a bit more. American ski racing, like parents are always like, did you have fun though? Make sure you had fun. Like fun and joy in ski racing in America is such a it's such it's pushed so much, and and we even still think oh it's too serious we need to make it more fun. In Austria, and Germany, Switzerland, a lot of these places, the like what I think right the way the education structure works at age, I don't know thirteen or something you decide whether you're going to go to this school which means you can be a carpenter or electrician or whatever you can go to this school, you can go to a ski school. And so kids from a certain age are like, my job is going to be ski racing. Yeah. And to them, I'm, I mean, I'm, I don't want to speak for them. I'm sure they still enjoy ski racing. But to them, it, ski racing is, is really like a job. Um, I don't know if you've noticed that um, or if you have any comment on that, but that just brought that to the forefront of my brain. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would push back on that just a little bit because I've seen 
like the negative tendencies that happen in American skiing as well. You know, mm-hmm. like I think you and I have both seen, you know, been at the bottom of the race and seen the parents that are like, like living vicariously through their kids. Yep. You know, you see that a lot where they, they, um, take an ego hit personally if their kid doesn't succeed. You know, I think that and that puts a lot of pressure on the, the fun. Kids. The fun is the important part. Like, like, uh, I mean, God knows everybody that's in this sport, like is spending enough money that it's not worth it. If you're not having fun, my goodness, <laughs> yeah. you know, but like the fun is the important part. And so always going back to that, reminding yourself, if you're a parent, like, like, it's not about me. It's about my kid. My kid's 13 years old. Like he, his best memory from this in five years is going to be the lunch, you know, in the lodge that he had with his friends. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's the important part, like making friends, trying something new, like pushing yourself. Yes. And and trying to be the best you can be, but also like you're a kid, like no, no race is going to be the end of the world. Like there should never be that much pressure on you there. You know, I like that. Um, and something, maybe this is a bit of a tangent, but something that I've been thinking about a lot is the way that races are set up mm-hmm. in Europe as opposed to the U S okay. You know, so races in Europe are usually much cheaper. Fist race entries are much cheaper than fist race entries in the U S. And so the motivation, um, for the race host is hosting a race for the right athletes, basically, you know, like it's, it's not a profit, uh, driven gambit. Like the reason they host the race is, is for athlete development, making sure that like they have opportunities for their athletes to score, but also like opportunities for them to grow and to learn all that sort of stuff. In the U S the races are hosted to fund the programs that are hosting them. Basically it's money in the pocket of the people hosting the race. Yeah. And so the motivation there is, okay, we have 150 slots. We should fill every single one of these, get every single kid we possibly can to come to this race. So we get those $50 deposits from every athlete and, and we can fund our, our development system next year, whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. whereas like you sit on the side of a, of a race in, in Europe and it's like, if there's a skier that clearly shouldn't be there, people are on the side of the hill, like, what's he doing here? You know, because it's like, it's not the appropriate race for him. There's different, you're saying that in Europe, there's different levels to races. Exactly. And it's like, um, like not, not the, the, the appropriate place for them to develop. And they realize that, and it's making the race longer and course conditions worse for the, for the people that, that are supposed to be there, you know? And Mm -hmm. so that creates like, um, more uh, skill-based races. And so everybody that's in a race feels like, okay, I'm here to push. I've got a chance to win or, or to, to move up or anything like that. You know, whereas in the U S there's a lot of races that kids go to because their parents think that they should for, for reaching a certain benchmark or like that they, their program is taking all the athletes too. So I should tag along as well, you know? And Kids go to to out of region races that they don't necessarily need to go to, pay tons of money, enter this race, and just get absolutely smoked. And then you're at the bottom, like I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Yeah, you know, it's not fun to get. Smoked. It's not. It's yeah. not fun. I mean, it, it it absolutely has value. Like, yeah, first time yeah, I came sure. over yeah, to yeah. Europe and I got absolutely smoked. You know, I thought I was I was um, the cat's meow in the U.S. and was like, <laughs> I'm I'm gonna come over here and show these Europeans what's up. And I just get absolutely 
obliterated and it's like <laughs> it's really humbling yeah and it's motivating yeah, and, sure. and it can but what, what, you, what you're trying to say is like in europe there's different levels of races and so you you ha- you're racing at a lower level mm-hmm. you're having fun you're you're competing for a win or competing to be competitive you move up to the next level you develop you move up to the next level yeah and in the u.s that just doesn't exist yeah and there's yeah. more there's more engaged athletes athletes that last like even even though you said like it the pipeline narrows and athletes specialize and go into trades and all that sort of stuff, but like athletes last into fists like longer in Europe than they do in the U.S. because there's like there's always something to push for, there's something yep. to like reach for, and and you're engaged and you're having fun and and you're competing against people that you feel like I put in a little extra work, I can I can beat this guy, you know. And in the U.S., I feel like that drops off much quicker, you know, where there's like you enter first year fists and you go out of region to um, a, a collegiate race or even maybe a, a NORAM and you just get absolutely smoked and you're like, okay, I'm never going to be that good. So why am I still doing this? Yeah. You know? Yeah. It doesn't give you hope. Yeah. And so that's, that's what I, I sorry. That's a, that's a really no, long but tangent. I, but I like, I like that tangent. Um, dinner started eight minutes ago, so we should get going. Okay. Um, but it, do you want to talk about, uh, your foundation? Yeah, I'd love to. Let's do it. Okay. Tell me about it. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll try to keep this quick so we can get to dinner here. But 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 hit the marks, you know, like if if we're late to dinner. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Um, yeah. So I'm working on a foundation right now. Hopefully, it'll be premiering this summer. Um, and I've sort of restructured it a couple of times um, to to fight what I feel like is the biggest problem in ski racing. It's the affordability piece. Um, yes. Yes, yes, yes. And it's it's really tough. Like it's naturally this sport has to be really expensive just because of the skis and the all the equipment we have to get and the lift tickets. Like on paper, yes, it is an expensive sport, but it doesn't need to be this expensive or this prohibitive. Like there's also a lot of resources in this sport to be able to bring in, you know, a more diverse crowd, a more um varied crowd and and honestly like a a crowd that lives in the ski valleys of of the U.S. and isn't able to or doesn't even pick it up because they're like oh, we can't we can't afford that sort of thing you know and so I've been trying to figure out the best way that I can attack it you know with my platform with with the resources that the sport's given me and um, the way I'm going about it right now is is direct grants to athletes that need it um, and the the rule that i've written in right now is um we'll be providing grants for for any number of things whether it's ski camps or trips to out of region races or um tuning services or anything else and we want to give them straight to the athletes make sure that they they can get the help that they need to be able to uh fully realize their dreams um but the rule we have right now is um these athletes need to show evidence um that they're also being supported by their club somehow in some sort of grant or, or donation or anything like that. And that can be adapted on a case by case basis. But Mm -hmm. the reason I do that is because I feel like I need to help to put the onus on the programs themselves to support these athletes as well. You know, I feel like, like they have the resources to do it and, um, are capable of, of stepping in and stepping up a bit more to make sure that the sport's more affordable to the athletes that, that participate and need it. Um, I think that does a couple of things. One, it 
will help in the long term, hopefully, to to destigmatize the the cost of the sport. If we're able to to get these clubs to engage in this way and and um, work really hard on the price component, um, then people in the community will be able to see, wow, maybe this sport is doable for us. Maybe we can we can uh, send our kids into this program, you know. And and that stigma is real, you know, because there's lots of people that miss the net completely because they never give the sport a chance yep um because of the cost um and you know i i i really feel this like full full disclosure my dad uh was the director of ski club vale for 14 years um and i've seen programs like that the cost continues to rise year after year after year um into this era where um it's unrecognizable to um you know what what i felt like i saw when i was a kid and there's a lot of reasons for that to me it's when we're in a sport such as this that's known for being expensive it draws in a crowd of people that are well off and and have the means to um be able to put their athletes into it and what that does is is when you're paying that sort of money then you feel uh like we need to get the better resources for our athletes and we need mm-hmm. to get um, an extra physio to come on the road. We need to get more. Uh, we need to go to, we need to go further for points. Exactly. We need, yep. yeah, we need to go out of region before we need to, we need mm-hmm. to get another technician on board. Mm-hmm. Things like that have value. Absolutely. But you see in Europe, like you don't need those things as a youth to mm-hmm. succeed. Mm-hmm. But what that does ultimately is slowly, it raises the price. It becomes an arms race amongst the parents. Exactly. It yeah. becomes an arms race. It raises the price, which means parents feel a little bit more entitled, like we need to get something else. And then it raises the price again. It's like it's a, a worm eating its own tail. And um, I really feel like the shift we need to make completely is we don't need all of these extra things. You know, what we need is to develop good athletes at home and, um, send them to races as appropriate and uh, patch in funding for, for these sorts of races and, and for these sorts of opportunities when appropriate. But um, I, I don't know. I, I feel like the whole system could be much more bare bones than it is and, and develop athletes at, at just the same rate. Um, and so that's, that's sort of the idea behind my foundation is, is um, try, trying to hold the clubs, the clubs accountable, accountable to, I love to that part. the, yeah. the, the absolute like necessities and, and a real drive to bring the cost down because I think that'll make the sport more accessible, bring more people in the door, have a broader talent pool to pull from and ultimately produce better athletes that come onto the national team in the future. Um, and I, I'm not going to be able to change it on my own, but I feel like my little it's piece and hopefully those that'll 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 bind arms with me will be able to start pushing this movement and and developing it. You know, you see it across the country developing a little bit. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm. You listen to the podcast, you know that's what I I, I talk about this all the time. Like, how do we make it more accessible? River Adamus is putting his hat in the ring in terms of making some sort of an impact, and I appreciate that. Riv, I appreciate you talking to me. 
so much. I mean, we could go all night. I mean, I could <laughs> we could skip dinner and go all night, but I think I I'd prefer we didn't. I'm pretty hungry. Yeah, let's head to dinner. Yeah, uh, yeah, but uh, you know, stay tuned in with with me um, and the foundation. We called the Arco Foundation, and and once once we debut it, I hope. Uh, if you if you agree with me, maybe maybe people out there can can chip in and, and help help support the cause. Where should they follow you on in that? Um, right now, uh, my Instagram's River Adamus. I'll be making an announcement about it, and, and hopefully we can we can make a big push into the summer and and um, you know make a real impact in in U.S. skiing down the road. Follow River Adamus on Instagram. <laughs> Right, and we're back in live. Um, well, guys, this is the final episode of the Arc City season, and it is the end of your Noram seasons. So we're going to go around and introduce ourselves. The men wearing the stickers on their helmet this season. Uh, hi, my name is Jay Poulter. I'm Justin Bigatel. Uh, Luke Karen. Thanks for having me, Jimmy. So we'll start with you, Luke. Uh, how is the season? What did it mean to you to to wear the Arc City sticker on your helmet? Uh, season overall was uh, a great success. You know, uh, headed over to Europe, raced some Europa Cups with the big boys, and I loved you know rocking that Arc City sticker while I was over there. Did any Europeans like ask what Arc City was? Everyone was asking. Really, it was great. It was great, and I told them. You know, I asked them if they'd listen to the podcast, and many of them, you know, had. Some of them had not. And, you know, it was just great representing the Arc City crew while I was over there. Hell yeah. Biggie? What, did anyone ask you about the sticker this year? I've had many people ask me about the sticker this year. <laughs> nice. Um, What'd you tell them? I tell them to head over and go, go listen to the podcast. Every, uh, every podcast is a banger, so especially the intro, that hits hard. Yeah. So, yeah. So what are your goals for next season, Biggie? That's a big question. <laughs> um, well, like, we'll give you time to think about it. We'll move on to Jay. <laughs> Thank Jay, you for having me, Jimmy. Um, what, like, what did it mean to wear the sticker this season? Oh, it really meant a lot to me. You know, Arc City supporting me through this great year. Yeah. I was just trying to spread awareness for the podcast, especially to Europeans. They really love it. Nice. And what, what are your goals this season? Or next season, sorry. Uh, next season, my goals are to punch it in there in some Europe Cups and uh, come back and compete for wins and norms. Sick. I love it. Biggie, back to you. Now that you had time to think. <laughs> Thank what you, are you going to do next season? What do you learn from this season? I've learned a lot this season. I've learned to really just keep pushing at it as hard as I can. Mm. Even if it's hard, just keep going. And next season, I'm going to keep coming back to Norams and try to punch it in the top 30s as much as possible and get top 10s and hopefully, you know, Top threes. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Exactly. Luke finishes off. What did you learn Jimmy. this season? What are you going to do next season? Uh, what I learned from this season was, uh, you know, you just got to freaking send it and enjoy it while you can. Uh, goals for next season. I'm, I'm going to be hitting the college circuit a little bit, but hopefully bringing the Arc City sticker with me. I think, that, I, can, I think I can sign you guys to another, another season. Bringing that onto the college circuit and showing yeah. them how, how it's done, how yeah. the Arc City skiers do it. Yeah. And then still – 
doing the Noram tour if I, while I can and, you know, just trying to punch it in there every race. Cool. Well, uh, those are the, uh, the young, the young guns, the young skiers. We've got two D team skiers, Jay Poulter and Justin Bigatel. Luke Keering joined us for a couple D team camps this summer. And, uh, they are the future of American ski racing and the future of the Arc City Stoke.